Well, good morning. My name is Dwayne. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. This is a teaching ministry that is called to rightly divide the Word of God for the people of God. So um, it's been a while since I've done a live recording on a Sunday morning. Um, been pretty busy, been traveling a lot. Uh, matter of fact, let's see, um, I was on the road. While I was on the road, I was able to do some excuse me, some recordings that I just called from the road. Um, but the last time we were together, we actually got down chapter 5, 1 through 15 on a Sunday morning. Uh, to And then while I was on the road, I did 16 through 23. So today we're going to pick up there uh, so that I can get everything in one place. So... All right, so go ahead and open your Bibles to Galatians chapter number 5. And just for context, I'm going to start reading uh, verse number 1, and uh, then we'll pick up commentary, or in-depth commentary, if you will, uh, in verse number 16. And we'll see how far we get. I'm trying to get down in chapter 6, verse 2 today. So I've got my Bible here open, Galatians chapter 5. Verse number one, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And remember, the entire purpose of this letter was to the Galatians who were being led to place themselves back under the law. And he says, Christ has made you free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. The point is, you're either going to place your faith in the law or you're going to place your faith in Christ. If you place your faith in the law, then you're no longer trusting in Christ, and therefore it will profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. In other words, you can't just pick and choose what parts of the law you want to obey. You are completely removed from the law. Um, And if you want to place yourself under any part of the law, then you are under the whole law. Faith plus nothing (laughs) is faith. Uh, Faith plus anything is works. Christ is become of no effect to you. Whosoever of you are justified for, for by the law, you are fallen from grace. Christ means nothing to you because obviously you're not placing your faith in Christ. Your faith, you're, you're placing your faith in the law, and you're not relying on grace. Uh, for we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So those of us who are placing our faith in Christ alone, through the Spirit, we are waiting for the hope of righteousness. In other words, our righteousness, we are not seeking our own righteousness through our works. We are seek, We are waiting for our righteousness from Christ. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. In other words, it's simple faith that worketh by love. It's not circumcision or even uncircumcision. It doesn't matter. And he says, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? I mean, you were doing so well the last time I was with you. Who hindered you? 
You know, who broke up the path for you? Who slowed you down? And he says in verse 8, this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. In other words, who is the one that calleth them? Some would say that's referring to God. Some would say, no, that's Paul. Paul is the one that went and called them. I think it's a reference to Paul, though, you know, it's not going to blow up anything if I'm wrong there. Um, but he says this persuasion, this uh, that is being this this uh, error that's being taught uh, to you didn't come from him that called you. In other words, I, I didn't I didn't teach you this stuff. Somebody else did. And he says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And isn't that so true? He's saying there, if you allow error into your life, it's going to spread into every other aspect of your life. It's just like when you you take uh, leaven and you, you place it in a cake of bread. You know, that whole cake is going to rise. Not ju- It's going to spread. And all it takes is a little pinch. My great-grandmother used to say, a little dab do you. Uh, it's going to spread, and he's saying if you allow this to spread, it's going to it's going to destroy the whole fellowship there in Galatia. And he said, "I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his own judgment, whosoever he be." Now that is interesting to me because Paul is no longer speaking plural; he is talking about one person. Uh, he that is there. So apparently Paul had narrowed down, and we call these people that are spreading this leaven among the Galatian believers Judaizers. They were people, they were Jews, who were saying that these Jews or these these believing Jews, these grace Jews, uh, and even these believing grace Gentiles had to keep the law. They had to be circumcised if they wanted to be saved. So bear in mind, there's three different audiences here in Galatians. Uh, You've got the Judaizers, which were uh, Jews who I don't believe were grace Jews, who were trying to persuade the grace Jews who had come to Christ by faith through the grace gospel. And you have the Gentiles who, of course, could only come to God by by grace. Now, there may have been some proselytized Gentiles here in Judaism. I'm not sure. I don't see that in the text. But he says, uh, I have confidence in you through the Lord, in verse 10, that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. Uh, so it seems that Paul is narrowing it down. He may or may not know who it is, but there's certainly a leader involved. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. And he's saying, obviously, I'm not preaching circumcision. Obviously, I'm not preaching circumcision because if I was, I wouldn't be um, being persecuted by the Jews. And he says, I would that they were even cut off, which trouble you. Now, that's an interesting verse there. I would that they were even cut off that trouble you. He is referring to uh, self-mutilation um, there in verse number 12. And, of course, he's referring to circumcision. Um, and his words are pretty harsh. If you look in other translations like the NAS, 
He says, would that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Um, so not only circumcise themselves, but mutilate themselves. Uh, the NIV, verse 12, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. So, you know, Paul's not thinking uh, um, positive thoughts about these people. Uh, he's very upset with them for coming in and spreading uh, these lies among the Galatian believers. And I can remember days as a pastor where, um, you know, people, my congregants in our church would come back with some heretical doctrine that they got from somewhere. And it just seemed like you had to go into lockdown mode to with them personally to bring them back onto um, the right path. And it, it, it angers you that you've spent so much time and then they do a drive-by <laughs> with heresy and just confuse it, confuse them. And he says in verse number 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not this liberty for an occasion to the flesh, um, but by love serve one another. So he's saying we are not under the law but we have been called to liberty. And as a result of that, it frees us to serve others, is what he's saying here. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, as compared to the law. Only use not that freedom, that liberty, for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Um, I believe that it's because we are comfortable in our relationship with God and ourselves. When we're comfortable in our relationship with God, um, we are free to serve others. But if we are constantly being plagued by doubt, we're constantly being plagued by the thoughts that I got to do more to earn my salvation, it doesn't free us up to serve others because we're more concerned about ourselves than we are others. And then notice in um, um in verse 14, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, following the same thought, Paul here, uh, he says, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the ones that he just said you should be serving but if you divide, bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed to one another. So again, he's following the same thought of serving others out of love. Law, on the other hand, has a tendency to lead to self-righteousness, uh, self-navel-gazing, uh, if you will, because it becomes all about you. And that self-righteousness that we find in the law, because it is a, a salvation of works if we're trying to do this, um, it leads to separation, it leads to hatred, it leads to division, because we begin, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, we begin to measure ourselves among ourselves and compare ourselves among ourselves, and this is not wise. Uh, again, it, it becomes about box checking, and I'm better than you because I can check more boxes than you can. So I believe that's the heart of what Paul is saying there and he says, if you if you keep doing this, he said, you're going to bite and devour one another. 
and you're going to end up being consumed of one another as you continue this box checking. And when you're into box checking, you're not into love. You're not into serving one another. You're motivated by self-righteousness. And he says in verse number 16, this I say then, walk in the, the, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are, under the, you are not under the law. So Paul's simple solution here is that liberty comes as a result of walking in the Spirit. Uh, those who walk in the Spirit will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And again, you gotta you got to ask yourself here, why is he comparing the flesh here? The flesh wants to check the box. Okay, the the flesh wants to puff itself up. The self, the flesh wants to be better than you. That's flesh. Okay, um, so he's saying if you walk in the spirit, you'll flush the flesh. If you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the needs, the lusts, the desires of the flesh that want that the flesh that wants all of that self promotion. In other words, he's saying here, the flesh will never lead you to do anything spiritual, and the spirit will never lead you to do anything fleshly. So when it comes to liberty, we, we first need to ask ourselves if what we're wanting to do, is this a work of the flesh? Is this something that's just going to pump up my flesh? Or is this a work of the spirit? Is this the spirit? And, of course, we need to obey our spirit, the spirit. Notice it's capitalized, the Holy Spirit. We need to obey. And notice the last part of verse number 17, so that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, if we would spend our lives walking in the spirit, we would not have time to feed the flesh. If we would occupy our time um, feeding our spirit, walking in our spirit, nurturing our spirit, we would not have time to fulfill the lust of the flesh. If a man has tools in his hand and sweat on his brow, he doesn't have time to do something else. He's focused on the task at hand. Uh, there's an old saying, uh, an idle mind is the devil's playhouse. It's when we are not doing what we need to be doing that the devil gets in and we begin to heed the lust of the flesh, the desires of our flesh. Um, and I believe it, that is when we as believers begin to struggle. It's when we drop our proverbial spiritual swords, we back out of the fight, and we start thinking in the flesh. And, and that is so true. You can watch that in your own life. I mean, when you get tired, when you get isolated, when you get uh, offended, the first thing you do is lower your sword. Um, you're not in the fight anymore because you're angry. You know, I compare it sometimes to when I was a kid, I would watch Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, you know, and... Uh, um, People, you would you would watch those lionesses as they lay on that hill, 
and they would be looking at that herd of gazelle or or wildebeest or whatever it was they were stalking. And they would look at them for days. What were they looking for? They were looking for a weakness. They were looking for one that was offended. They were they were looking for one that was sickly. Okay, and the devil is the same way. He looks for those who are offended, that are ill, that are sickly, and then those lionesses they charge with a purpose. The majority of those lionesses, their job is to simply spread the herd. And then maybe one or two of those lionesses, their job is to go for the one that they have targeted, that sickly, ill, offended one that is lagging behind, that's not keeping up with the rest of them for whatever reason. And then once the herd is spread, all of the lioness will, lionesses will converge on that one little wildebeest, that one little gazelle, and it's dinner time. If we're not careful, uh, we're not designed uh, to live our lives alone. We're, de- we're designed to live our lives in community with others. Um, so Paul here is basically saying, if you stay in the game, you won't have time to feed the flesh. And now Paul lists the things that the flesh produces. He lists the things that the flesh produces. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. In other words, they're they're shown, they're they're made evident, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations. None of this sounds good, does it? Um, Wrath and strife and sedition and heresy, uh, envying, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and the like of the which I tell you, bef- I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do do those things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Someone asked me the other day, um, you know, now that we're living under grace, what is our standard? Because I hear people in the church say erroneously all the time that the law is our standard. The Ten Commandments is our standard. No, Christ is our standard. And everything we do, we should do out of love for Him, faith through Him. And uh, Christ is the standard, not the law. And I've said this before, and some people look at me funny, but Gentiles... The body of Christ has never been under the law of Moses. It never will be under the law of Moses. We were not freed from the law of Moses because we were not under the law of Moses. We are under the law of Christ, the law of love. And if you look at all these things that manifest themselves in the flesh, it deals with everything that is forbidden under the law. Adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, and idolatry. Doesn't that sound very similar to the Ten Commandments? But we're not, we're not under the commandments. We've never been under the commandments. It is the law of Christ that constrains us. So he says all of these things are works of the flesh. And his point is that, though, that these things should not be uh, what the saved person is involved in. Because they should be walking in the Spirit and not have time for these things. Yes, they, they, these are the things that our flesh naturally wants. Our, our flesh quivers to do these things. 
But if we stay in the spirit, if we keep our hand to the plow and the sweat on our brow, we will not be drawn to them. If we stay focused on Christ and his call for our lives. And again, it's, it's the love of Christ that constrains us to do these things, not the law. Notice at the end of verse 21 that he says that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that seems strange at first glance, because um, remember, I've taught we as the body of Christ, the kingdom was not offered to the Gentile. Christ came to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to the nation of Israel. And the gospel of the kingdom was repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. That was the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, Paul never preached that gospel to the Gentiles. Now, some would say between his conversion in Acts 9 and when he finally understood the mystery, he may have preached that. But that is not the gospel of grace that was revealed to Paul which is what we call the mystery. The mystery that was revealed to Paul was by faith in Christ's completed work on the cross by his death and his burial and the resurrection, we're saved and that not of works lest any man should boast. We're not under the law. So the body of Christ has never been under the law. And the kingdom has nothing to do directly with the body of Christ. And again, this is a huge source of confusion. Uh, I'm looking here. I see Dino, Norma, and Scott. God bless you guys. Um, the kingdom was never offered to the body of Christ or to the Gentile. Understand, all of the, all of the prophecies of the Old Testament looked forward to the Redeemer, the kinsman, the, the Goel that would come and redeem the nation. Okay? Um, Jesus was that. Jesus came, and Jesus, in order to be that Redeemer, had to die. Now, a lot of people in evangelicalism say that once Jesus died, it became all about the church from that point forward. That's not true. Christ had to die. God knew he was going to die. Hebrews tells us that he had to die so that the sins that were committed under the Old Testament could be forgiven so that he could bring in the new. Christ had to die. And the kingdom that Christ came to proclaim, which is all Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, that kingdom could not be offered until the nation had been redeemed. And that happened at the cross and the resurrection. It was only then that the kingdom could be legitimately offered to the nation. It couldn't have been offered prior to his death. It had to happen after the sacrifices were made. Read Hebrews. And after Christ died, Peter is the one that made the kingdom offer to the nation. Remember, Christ told Peter that he would be given the keys, and Peter used those keys. The kingdom was offered to the nation if they would repent and be baptized. But the nation overwhelmingly rejected that, and the kingdom never came. 
And that's when Paul, God raised up Paul to take the gospel of grace to the Gentiles. But what happened historically, if you go back, Augustine was the first to spiritualize all of that. Yeah, the kingdom did come. It was a spiritual kingdom. And today, evangelical churches are still preaching that same error, that we are in the spiritual kingdom. Um, we're not, the, the kingdom doesn't have anything to do with the Gentiles. Um, Augustine said that the, the kingdom came spiritually and Christ is in the form of the vicar or the, the pope and all of that, the Catholic Church in 325 AD, you know, and it's, it carried all of that covenant, reform, replacement theology is still being taught in the church, even by those who claim to be dispensationalists. But yet they're still spiritualizing this kingdom, still spiritualizing um, Acts chapter number two and what happened there. And all of that is error. Every bit of it. The kingdom was offered to the nation and the nation rejected it. So we're not in a kingdom. We're not part of a kingdom. We're not in a spiritual kingdom. Uh, the kingdom is for the nation of Israel. It is prophecy from the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. The fulfillment of the, of the covenants, the Davidic, the Abrahamic, you know, the Palestinian covenants, all of that is for the nation of Israel, not for us. And all kinds of error starts to take place when you start saying it's us. You start spiritualizing. You say, well, um, we are the nation of Israel now. You know, and that's where we get all this Hebrew roots movement. That's where we get this, uh, this charismaniac movement that all of this is about us now. We are spiritual Israel. And again, all that goes back to Augustine because when it didn't physically happen, he spiritualized it. And we're still doing it today in the body of Christ. So when he says, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God, again, that seems strange. Uh, but we need to remember that throughout this letter, Paul is speaking to both kingdom uh, Jews. I believe he's speaking to grace Jews. The kingdom Jews, I think he's referring to particularly, uh, maybe the, the Judaizers. Um, there are certainly grace Jews that had come to salvation under Paul's grace message and grace Gentiles. And again, I think it's a pronoun thing for me that he switches from ye, referring to Galatians, Gentiles in verse 18, to they, Jews, particularly the Judaizers, in verse number 19. Uh, so in my opinion, you can take it or leave it, uh, the kingdom was still a valid offer for the nation of Israel at this time. And I believe it remained a valid offer up until at least the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, when it was obviously off the table. The book of Galatians was written between 53 and 57, so we are ways from, the, from 70 AD at this point. Um, so good, good comment, Scott. You cannot have a kingdom without a king. The kingdom never came. Amen. It didn't come. Christ left. He didn't come back. Because understand, just this is what shoulda, woulda, coulda happened. 
Peter presented the gospel of the kingdom. He offered the kingdom, which is the same gospel that they'd been preaching in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, same gospel that John the Baptist preached, the same gospel that all, all the apostles taught. If the nation of Israel would have repented and been baptized in Acts chapter number 2, 3, 4, in that area, immediately the nation would have rolled into Daniel's 70th week of Daniel 9. Bear in mind, Christ came up to the 69th week, which is Daniel 9, 25, 26, and then it would have went into Daniel's 70th week, which means Israel would have entered into the time of tribulation, which is exactly what Peter and John and, uh, is preparing the nation for in the Hebrew epistles. Hebrews through Revelation was preparing the nation for the coming tribulation and the return of Christ, the second coming, and the establishment of the kingdom. That would have happened. Paul would have never been raised up. The body of Christ as we know it would have never been born. You could simply remove the Pauline epistles from the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first seven chapters of Acts. Hebrews through Revelation would have been it. It would have all been fulfilled, but it wasn't. They rejected their Messiah. They're, they rejected him. So God raised up Paul to do what they would not do because God's initial plan was to use the nation to reach the Gentiles. But the nation decided they didn't want their Messiah. So God used Paul to reach the Gentiles. Hope that makes sense. It's crystal clear to me. <laughs> um, so, um, <clears throat> so again, I, th I think when he says there, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God, he's speaking to the Judaizers. Um, and again, the kingdom was still a valid. There was a time, understand, the book of Acts was a book of transition from from Jerusalem to Antioch, from Peter to Paul, from the kingdom gospel to the grace gospel, um, from um, it, you got to see it as a book of transition. So there was a time of overlap there when the apostles were still preaching the kingdom gospel, and yet Paul was on the scene preaching the grace gospel. And of course, as you work your way through Acts. Peter disappears off the scene, and it becomes all about Paul. And then you roll into Romans. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And you have the Pauline epistles, which are addressed to the body of Christ for the most part. But he still, as you can see here in verse number um, in verse number 21, he's still addressing the, the Jews both believing and unbelieving. He's still addressing them. Now, notice in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So he says, if you walk in the flesh, this is what's going to happen. Adultery, fornication, lasciviousness. This is, this is the fruit of walking in the flesh. But this is the fruit of the Spirit. And again, this is not fruit that we produce, but it's fruit that the Spirit produces in our lives. Love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance against such there is no law. 
So Paul begins to list the things that the Spirit produces in our lives. Again, his point is that if they would actively walk in these things, they would not be tempted to walk in the lust of the flesh or the works of the flesh that were listed earlier. Why? Because we can't do both of them at the same time. Can't do both of them at the same time. Notice verse 24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh, With the affections and lust, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Crucifying the flesh, that's not a one-time deal. Uh, I think it's Pentecostal holiness that that teaches, um, what's the term, pure holiness, that we become perfect in this flesh. No, we don't. We're sinners saved by grace. Uh, and we are continually crucifying that flesh moment by moment, day by day, year by year. Uh, we are continually being conformed into the image of Christ. It doesn't happen overnight at conversion. Paul said in 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty one, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. I die every day. We are constantly putting to death the flesh. We are constantly um, crucifying the flesh. All believers who are to live in the Spirit, how? By yielding to the Holy Spirit in our lives and letting Christ live through us daily. Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And that word walk there in verse number 25, is an action verb. Let us walk. That means it's constant, continually walking uh, in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another and envying one another. Um, this verse I mentioned last time could be kind of two ways. Uh, let us not be desirous of vain glory. Um, Bear in mind, how would they have vainglory by walking in the flesh, by checking the boxes, by trying to keep the law to obtain their own salvation? But he says, let us not be desirous, let us not be doing that, provoking and envying one another, uh, contesting, disputing, arguing, biting, devouring one another. I believe that's what he's saying there in verse number 26. Now, notice in chapter 6, verse number 1, now Paul turns to practical instruction and application. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So, in this verse, Paul is encouraging them to be quick to restore a brother who has stumbled, and I believe it means unwittingly. Uh, well, what about all these people that he's been talking to that have heeded the teaching of the Judaizers, have uh, gotten confused in regards to grace and the law? He says, be encouraged, encourage them, be quick to restore them. Um, and notice there's two words I want to look at. The word overtaken here. The word overtaken indicates that it was not on purpose. These people didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stumble here. 
No, it, it, they were overtaken by it. Uh, Morris, Henry Morris, he says, it contains the idea of falling. It is not the deliberate, the planned aspect of sin that is stressed here, but rather the unwitting element. Mistake rather than misdeed is the force of the word, though without absolution of responsibility. So Paul is saying saying here, we need to be quick to restore these people, and we need to do it in a spirit of meekness, considering ourselves. It could happen to us too. Uh, and in the context, he is most likely speaking of those who for a time did not walk in the Spirit, but heeded the flesh. They are to be restored, not ignored, not excused or destroyed, but they're to be restored. The word restore means to put back in order to its former condition. That's what we need to be about, because we have all been overtaken. We have all stumbled, wittingly and unwittingly, Uh you know, and the church today is not very good at this. We are a lot better at shooting our wounded than we are at restoring them. But he says, notice, it needs to be done in a spirit of meekness, knowing, considering thyself, lest you also be tempted. It could happen to us. Therefore, the grace of God go I. And then verse number two, we conclude, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, We are called to walk this thing together with each other's help. This walk was not meant to be a Lone Ranger lifestyle. And Scott and I were talking about this the other day. Sometimes it feels like a Lone Ranger lifestyle, (laughs) especially when when you're pulling away from the herd, when, you, you know, especially since for me personally, as I've started to go down this journey of realizing that that we have, we still continue both within covenant theology for sure, but even among dispensational, quote, right dividing churches, they're still spiritualizing acts too. They're, they're still running around, um, you know, uh, thinking we're in the kingdom and, you know, and, and as you begin to rightly divide, you understand that's error, that's wrong. So it kind of feels like you're in this Lone Ranger deal. Um, but we're not. I'm sure Paul had some some low moments. I'm sure Paul had some lonely moments. But we need to, I mean, the people I'm talking to right now, and the friends that you talk to, that's our fellowship. Uh, I think it was in the God where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of them. I mean, um So we just need to be about not only growing and going in our own walks, but also trying to um, share it with others. I had a brother tell me one day, what what does it matter? It matters a lot. I mean, if we're not rightly dividing the word of truth, then we're we're teaching error. Uh, We're spreading error. So I believe just in love, we need to, those who disagree with us, whether it's uh, some, it's, it's hostile disagreement, but I'm convinced that they're never going to listen until they reach a crossroad, until they start asking. It's kind of like you're trying to give something to somebody they don't even know they need. 
you know, it's the old comparison. If if I knew a plane was going to crash, you know, I would hold to dear life to the parachute. But if I tried to offer that parachute to someone who was oblivious to the fact that the plane was going to crash, they wouldn't want it because they would see no need. So I think as we, I think somebody who said that, how do we rescue the religious? Um, I think we pray for them. I think we use our opportunity to be salt and light, if you will, uh, in their lives. I think we we answer their questions in love because I know I didn't go down this road. It took me years to go down this road. And it's only now that I can look back and see where I was challenged and I called into question. For me, it was just the, the obvious opposite teaching of Paul and James. Um, you, you can't reconcile Paul and James. You can't reconcile Paul and Peter most of the time. Well, why? Because they were teaching two different things. Peter was still actively preaching the gospel of the kingdom, expecting the tribulation, the second coming, and the, the kingdom. Paul was not. Paul came to realize that the kingdom had been postponed. It wasn't coming. Um, until someone else, that person that you're thinking of right now, comes and ask, starts asking those questions, you know, anything you say to them is just going to bounce off. <laughs> they're not going to heed it because they they don't think they need it. Uh, so I think we just constantly, I, I've had pastors and friends come back to me that have vehemently rejected things that I've said. And they've said, well, what about this? You see there, there it is. That's that little, that little crack. And they have a question and I lovingly answer it. I want to be as patient with them as the Lord was with me. I, I really never had a, a man or a human <laughs> come to me and challenge me on these things. I came to this road on my own. I came to this road in my own uh, studies where I began to question uh, some of the things that I had been taught, especially in regard to the teaching of James and Paul, especially in regard to what happened in Acts chapter number 2. Um, I can't, I came to that crossroad on my own, that crossroad on my own. Um, so I would just encourage you to be patient with people who are struggling. Um, I communicate with people every day that don't, aren't in total agreement, but they're starting to question. They're starting to nod in agreement. And that's the way it happened for me. And that's the way it happened for them. And just pray for them. That's all you can do. Be available. Be there. Be patient as God was patient with us. So um, that is uh, Lou. How you doing? God bless you. Uh, we're at the tail end now. Um, but um, that is uh, verses uh, 16 through chapter 6, verse number 2. Next time we get together, Galatians is almost over. Uh, there's only 18 verses in chapter number six, and we'll start working through that, and we'll conclude in the next couple times, at least two more lessons, I would think. So um, God bless you guys, and um, hope you have a great Lord's Day. And uh, remember, God loves you and wants best for you, and he's working all things out for your good. <laughs>